Jordan and Andra and Chando had a busy morning. The couple, who had just celebrated their first wedding anniversary, had invited friends and family to their eldest daughter Skyland's sixth birthday that day. It was Saturday, 3rd August 2019. When they dropped off their daughter for cheerleading practice, they drove towards the local supermarket Walmart in El Paso in the southernmost part of Texas in the USA. The thermometer already showed over 32 degrees Celsius, even though it was only mid-morning. The couple had with them their youngest son Paul, who was only two months old and slept safely in the car's back seat. The couple parked the car in front of the supermarket and then searched for flags, balloons and steaks for the barbecue. But what they thought would be a festive and happy day with friends and family became a nightmare. And it was a nightmare that only one of the three family members present survived. Welcome to the second season of the Terror Talks podcast, a podcast about some of the most spectacular terrorist attacks in history. My name is Natasha Ingholm, and I'm a journalist and MA in Middle Eastern Studies, based in Copenhagen, Denmark. Through my profession and my work, I have dealt with terrorism and radicalization for a long time. In this podcast, I tell the stories about terrorist attacks worldwide. I'm trying to understand why and how people become radicalized, and what role history plays in their path to terrorism about people who will sacrifice their own lives or the lives of others for a political, economic, religious or social goal. Who was behind it, who they wanted to hit and why. Before you start listening, I must warn you that the podcast contains descriptions and details that can be violent and are unsuitable for young children and people who are affected by hearing about murder and violence. Jordan and Andra and Chando's small family were just two of the up to 3,000 people who made their way to Walmart on this warm August morning in 2019. The Walmart was close to the Cielo Vista Mall, so the warm air was filled with the voices of the busy and happy shoppers. It was shortly before the start of school, so people bought new school bags and lunchboxes, and pencil cases had to be filled with new markers and pencils. The beautiful young couple, the blonde 23-year-old Jordan and Chando, and the handsome, dark and somewhat serious-looking 24-year-old Andre and Chando had much to be happy about. They had been married a year before, and Andre and Chando had taken Jordan's two children from previous relationships, two-year-old Victoria and five-year-old Skylin as his own. They had recently had little Paul together. Jordan and Chando stayed at home and took care of the children. At the same time, Andre had built up a lucrative business as a self-employed person, installing kitchen tables and renovating kitchens for his customers. But Andre and Chando also used his skills in his private life. Besides celebrating their wedding anniversary and daughter Skyland's sixth birthday, it was the first time they invited family and friends to visit their new home, which Andre had built himself. 
They dropped off their oldest daughter Skylin for cheerleading practice, and their middle child, two-year-old Victoria, with her biological father. Now Jordan and Andre and Chondo had the time and the space to shop. Unfortunately, a young man about 1,000 kilometers away had decided that this day would be anything but calm. Patrick Crucius was 21 years old in 2019 and grew up in a middle-class family in Allen, a suburb of the big city of Dallas in northeast Texas. His father was a therapist and his mother a nurse, and they had divorced eight years before when Patrick Crucius was 13 years old. Neighbors described him as an extreme loner who always sat alone on the bus in both primary school and high school. A neighbor also said that he talked in a bad way about other children who played sports or played music in the school orchestra. He was dismissive of other people and generally kept himself away from others. He was fond of animals and kept snakes as pets. A former classmate described Patrick Crucius as very strong-willed in class and as someone who tried to rule over others. However, the other children refused to work with him because he was irritable and short-tempered. He was often teased because of the way he spoke, because he wore what looked like second-hand clothing. In 2014, he ran away from home, but only managed to be gone for half an hour before his parents contacted the police. Patrick Crucius finished high school in 2017, and between 2017 and 2019, he was enrolled at Collin College, north of Dallas. It is primarily through social media that we get a small glimpse from Patrick Crucius himself of what kind of person hid behind his closed facade. On his previous LinkedIn page, it was stated that he had an after-school job packing groceries and he himself wrote, among other things, I'm not really motivated to do anything more than what's necessary to get by. Working in general sucks, but I guess a career in software development suits me well. I spend about eight hours every day on the computer, so that counts toward technology experience, I guess. Under skills, he wrote, Nothing, really. An unspecified online database stated that Crucius had registered as a voter in 2016, shortly after his 18th birthday. He declared himself a Republican on the American right wing. A Twitter account named Patrick Crucius had a picture of former U.S. President Donald Trump sitting at his desk in the White House. It also included a pro-Trump poll about the best way to protect the United States. The response options were the hashtags, build the wall, no sanctuary cities, keep Gitmo open, and ban Syrian refugees. These are hashtags that indicated opposition to immigrants, refugees, and other foreigners. Three years after those tweets, Patrick Crucius' world collided with the married couple Jordan and Andre Anchondos and 22 other families in the most horrible way. 
on 3rd August 2019 at 10.12 a.m., a message was sent to the users on the image board HN. For those who do not know what an image board is, it can be described as an internet forum, often based on images used for discussions of various topics. The image board HN is often associated with racist, neo-Nazis and extremist right-wing groups and users. The message contained a four-page manifesto, which the author had dubbed The Inconvenient Truth. The manifesto was attached to a notice with the heading I will probably die today. It was divided into six sections about me, political motives, economic motives, equipment, reaction, personal motives, and thoughts. In the section about me, the author wrote that he was a fan of the right-wing perpetrator behind an attack on two mosques in New Zealand in March 2019, which killed 51 innocent Muslims. The manifesto also ranted about the Latin American invasion. It made references to a widespread theory on the far-right wing called the Great Replacement. The theory, which can probably be described as a conspiracy theory, varies slightly in content depending on where we are in the world. But in the USA, in short, it is about the so-called political elite deliberately trying to increase the number of ethnic minorities in an attempt to replace the white American population. Unfortunately, it is also a theory that, with the election of Donald Trump as president, has become relatively more widespread among American voters, especially on the American right wing. Here, several Republican politicians have used terms like invasion to describe immigrants at the U.S.-Mexico border, a rhetoric that has fueled the fire of anti-immigration attitudes and violence. The manifesto on HN highlighted what the author perceived as the dangers of mass immigration and warned that Hispanics will eventually take over the economy and government. They are the instigators, not me, it said. I am simply defending my country from cultural and ethnic replacement brought on by an invasion. To a great extent, El Paso has been a central figure in the immigration debate in the U.S. El Paso, which in Spanish means the pass, is located only 5 kilometers from the U.S.-Mexico border and only 17 kilometers from the Mexican city of Ciudad Juarez, the most populous city in the Mexican state of Chihuahua. El Paso is the city that has the largest percentage of Hispanic residents in the United States, at more than 80%. It is also a place where tens of thousands of Mexicans legally cross the border every day to work and shop. Then-President Donald Trump visited El Paso in February 2019 to discuss the infamous wall that was essential to his 2016 election campaign. The work on the 9-meter-tall steel wall began in 2018 and was supposed to prevent illegal Mexican immigrants from crossing the border into the USA. Trump even went so far in his rhetoric that he wanted Mexico to pay for it. Trump claimed the wall would make America safer, 
but thousands of El Paso residents demonstrated in protest. The manifesto mentioned above, which had been published on the right-wing internet forum 8chan, referred explicitly to Texas as a symbol of what Donald Trump called the Latin American invasion. The manifesto's author wrote that the Democratic Party used open borders and free medical care for undocumented immigrants to attract new voters. He, therefore, feared that an influential Hispanic population in Texas would transform the state into a stronghold of the Democratic Party. But the worst thing about this disgusting manifesto was when the manifesto referred to an impending terrorist attack as a response to the Hispanic invasion of Texas. The attack began only half an hour after the publication of the manifesto. On 3rd August 2019, at 11.30 in the morning, Patrick Crucio stepped out of his car in the parking lot in front of Walmart's brown facade in El Paso. The parking lot was packed with cars and people were going in and out of Walmart and the stories nearby. Two entrances were on either side of the giant brown Walmart logo with a distinctive yellow sparkle. Meanwhile, a group of young local soccer girls had set up tables where they sold lemonade to raise money for the club. Patrick Crucius had driven 10 hours from his hometown of Allen in the northeast Texas. 20 minutes before he published the manifesto mentioned above on the right-wing image board HN. Wearing a black t-shirt, cocky pants and black shoes, he strode across the parking lot towards Walmart's west entrance. Over his ears he had ear protection and in his hand a semi-automatic AK-47 military rifle and 1,000 rounds of ammunition. The first person he met in the parking lot was 58-year-old Maria Eugenia Lagarata Rote from a well-known business family in the Mexican state of Chihuahua, which borders Texas. She was in El Paso to pick up her youngest daughter, Natalie, at the airport when she decided to drive by Walmart. Patrick Crucius shot and killed her on the spot. He moved towards Walmart's west entrance, where the little soccer girls were selling lemonade. 61-year-old Jorge Jalwilio Garcia from Mexico was in El Paso that day to visit his son Luis and granddaughter Emily, who played for the local soccer team. When Jorge Calvillo saw what Patrick Crucius had done, he tried to shield the girls. It cost him his life when Patrick Crucius shot him several times. The perpetrator continued along the large Walmart sign towards Walmart's west entrance. It was now 10.39 and Patrick Crucius had killed two and wounded six people in a few minutes. He went inside Walmart. He passed the McDonald's on his left and turned towards the store's checkout counters. When he met 66-year-old German-born Alex Hoffman, who had lived in Ciudad Juarez for more than 40 years, he also killed him. His wife later said that Alex Hoffman saw himself as Mexican and Mexico as his second homeland. Crucius continued through Walmart. Opposite the checkout counters, 
was a bank where he shot and killed several people, including the only 15-year-old high school student, Javier Rodriguez. Javier's uncle was shot in the foot but survived. Then Crucius turned around, continued the few meters towards the sky-blue checkout counters with a yellow Walmart logo. Here he shot and killed even more innocent people. He continued toward Walmart's east entrance and exited into the parking lot. It was 10.42 and Patrick Crucius had killed 23 people and wounded 46 others in barely four minutes. He walked to his car, got in, and drove out of the parking lot. Meanwhile, police and paramedics had begun to arrive at the parking lot. Civilians had tried to help the injured along the way. They continued to transport seriously injured people out of the supermarket on transport trolleys for furniture, which most people probably know from IKEA. A young woman with long blonde hair and tight black tracksuit bottoms was dragged in the arms of two police officers and placed on one of these furniture carriages. She had been shot in the back and had a bullet hole the size of a baseball over one of her lungs. She fell down the carriage at one point but was picked up again. Then the blue-clad rescuers immediately set about providing first aid. At 10.48, nine minutes after the attack began, a man with a black mustache, black clothes and a black cap came running out of Walmart with a baby in his arms, which he handed to the paramedics. While the shooting took place, the Anchandos couple's oldest daughter, five-year-old Skylin, was at cheerleading practice. Coach Jeanette Krijalva heard that there was a shooting in the area. She gathered the children and drove them to her home, where she began calling their parents. Jeanette Krijalva remembers, I was able to get in contact with everybody's family member, except for Skylands. As the day progressed, she became increasingly worried. She kept asking me, Are my parents almost coming? I have my birthday today. The trainer dressed the little girl in a yellow dress and painted her nails yellow. They made spaghetti and bought a chocolate cake. They shouted surprise and released balloons. Maybe those were the last innocent and happy moments in Skyland's life. A short time later, she received word that both her parents had been killed in the attack at Walmart. The blonde woman who had been shot in the back and had a hole the size of a baseball was Skyland's mother, 23-year-old Jordan Anchando. Skyland's stepfather, Andrew Anchando, had been shot inside the supermarket while the couple was shopping for the little girl's birthday. He stood between his wife and son and the shooter to protect them and was brutally shot down by Patrick Crucius. Jordan Anchando was holding two-month-old Paula Anchando in her arms and was also shut down. She covered Paul with her dying body and the baby survived with two broken fingers. Paul was the baby that the unknown man in black ran out of Walmart with shortly after. At 6.30 that evening, Andre Anchando's brother, Tito Anchando, wrote about his brother on Facebook. It's official, he's dead. 
Jordan and Chandler's family searched for her without success. She was taken to the hospital, where she later died alone before relatives could arrive. As I said, Patrick Crucius left the Walmart parking lot after four minutes of shooting. At the intersection at Viscount and Sun Mound, a few minutes drive from the crime scene, at 11.06, he went into a left-hand turn lane. He got out of the car, handed himself over to two officers who happened to be at the intersection. Only half an hour had passed since the shooting began, and 25 minutes since he killed his last of 23 victims. Patrick Crucius pleaded guilty in February 2020 to hate crimes and received 90 life sentences. With his confession, he avoided the death penalty, which the state of Texas otherwise carries out most frequently in the United States. The perpetrator had set out to exterminate Mexicans, but the result was far more random. Among the dead were 13 American citizens, eight Mexicans and one German. 17 of those killed were 56 or older. Two were in their 40s, two were in their 20s, one was 36 and the youngest was just 15. They were high school students, bus drivers, teachers, tradespeople and an iron worker. All were innocent victims who had done ordinary things like shopping on a Saturday morning. On 3rd December 2019, one month after the attack, Walmart announced that it would stop selling handgun and assault rifle ammunition in the United States. They also asked their customers not to carry firearms in their stores openly. As a twist on the story of Baby Paul, the newspaper El Paso Times found after six months the man who had brought the baby to safety. It was 42-year-old Lazzaro Ponche who had found Jordan and the baby. He described the supermarket as a horror movie with injured and dead people with half their heads shut off. He first tried to help the dying woman but had to give up. So he took her baby and ran out of Walmart where he handed him over to the paramedics. Lazzaro Ponche had been homeless himself and had several prison sentences behind him, but he had now got his life under control. The attack at the Walmart in El Paso also had a political aftermath, which to that extent divided the public and, unfortunately, the Anchando couple's families as well. Then US President Donald Trump tweeted after the attack that, there are no reasons or excuses that will ever justify killing innocent people. A few days after the attack, Andre and Chandor and Jordan's two-month-old baby Paul was dressed up to meet the president. Andre and Chandor's brother, Tito and Chandor, told the press that Andre had shared many of Trump's views and voted for him. But when the White House released the photo of the family with the president, the family was met with a storm of hate messages and calls. This is what you voted for as a Trump supporter. One person wrote in a post on social media. Your family is literally reaping what they've sowed. 
Jordan and Chandler's family wanted to be politically neutral and were angry that Trump's visit had thrown the couple's children into a political minefield. I do not think there's any doubt that Trump's tweets directly inspired Patrick Crucius. A Twitter account that appeared to belong to Crucius praised the plan to build more border walls. The person behind the account claimed that he held these views before Trump's time and that any attempt to blame the president was so-called fake news. But there was a lot of rhetoric in Patrick Crucio's manifesto that was almost directly copied from Trump's statements. The manifesto characterized Latin American immigrants as intruders who stole American jobs. It also praised white supremacy because miscegenation destroys the nation. Attitudes and rhetoric that, according to the FBI, have gained increasing traction since Al-Qaeda's terrorist attacks on the United States on 9-11-2001. More Americans have actually died in domestic attacks than international terrorist attacks in the past 20 years. During the first nine months of 2019, Around 100 people had been arrested in the U.S. for planning domestic terrorist attacks. That is the same as the number of international terrorist attacks planned in the same period. Interestingly, according to U.S. law, it is not possible to charge people with planning terrorist attacks in the U.S., so they are instead charged with hate crimes or weapons and conspiracies. If we are to learn anything from terrorism and terrorist attacks today, it must be that social media increasingly plays an important role in the radicalization of young people. There are people who strategically and calculatedly work to recruit young people to what they believe will advance their political cause. But there are also politicians who, to that extent, are responsible for what they write and speak about who may not directly want or encourage people to kill others, but with their hate speech contribute to hatred and divisions, which vulnerable souls are inspired by. You have listened to Terror Talks, a podcast about terror and radicalization. This episode was written, produced and narrated by me, Natasha Engholm, while John Lobb voiced the men in the story. Also, a big thank you to consultant and journalist Lars Wilber, who contributed with sparing and wise thoughts. You will find the episode sources in the show notes where you listen to your podcast. I would also appreciate if you would give the podcast a positive review and rating and mention it to family and friends who could be interested in listening. Listen to the next episode where I talk about an attack that turned a national celebration into a nightmare. Please also follow Terra Talk social media on Instagram and Facebook, where you can see pictures from today's story. <laughs>